We are so grateful that you are with us as we consider the big difference that adopting a family culture code can make in the lives of each person in your home. Today, we introduce our family's foundational culture code, the one that every other code is built on. This is season three, episode two of the We Are Wayfarers podcast, and we're so glad you're joining us today. Hey, everybody, we're glad to have you back for episode two. We are in season three, and we are Ben and Crystal Woods. This is the beginning, right? The beginning of season... Well, technically, last week is the beginning. <laughs> Second episode of season Second three. episode. We are in the beginnings of season three of the We Are Wayfarers podcast. And honestly, the whole reason that we even embarked on recording a podcast in the first place came from a place of conviction, right? Like we... I remember feeling like, it welling up within us that like we have to do this whether anyone was listening or not right like Mm -hmm. story of my life right (laughs) whether anyone was listening or not but we wanted to start documenting these conversations that we were having with one another and start finding ways to share them uh with other people uh that would hopefully maybe serve them be useful to them and resource them a little bit yeah and i think discipleship was something that um you had always had pronounced in your heart in the way that God was using you. And I feel like he was just pronouncing that in my heart as well, like that we both had a desire to shepherd other people and to help other people. Um, And so these conversations that we were having with each other and with others, they were they were really just so encouraging to my faith, just sharpening me and continuing to pull me forward. Um, those conversations would like overlap into family and ministry and grief and life and spiritual formation and the, the plans and purposes that God has for us. Um, and they were just so such bright spots in the way that God was discipling me that I thought, well, maybe other people could find these useful as well. And so that's just the hope that that we continue to have these talks on like on with micro- microphones. microphones in between us, right? Like we do talk other Without times. Without microphones, yes, yes often. indeed. Yes. <laughs> but um, that is the hope that some of these conversations that we're having, um, they're just normal conversations that we would have, but these ones we are recording in hopes that it would spur yeah, you on. I'm pretty sure like this is just the way we talk to one another throughout, <laughs> throughout a day anyway. Like, so maybe that, that might be giving people too much of a window in. There's, <laughs> let me tell you, there's nothing performative about this. We're just sitting here talking about things that matter deeply to us. So yeah, we're inviting you in. Well, and this is our um, our 20th recorded oh, conversation. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you haven't even strangled me yet. Yet. Oh, ouch. <laughs> Story of my life. Uh, here we go. No, but in all seriousness, we are so grateful that you're listening along with us. And we are so encouraged by the messages that we've been receiving mm-hmm. and uh, just simply how it's resonated. Like when people shoot us a text message or send us an email about what they're gleaning from these episodes and what is encouraging them, what's challenging them, comforting them, convicting them, all of those things that 
that's discipleship. If we are going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to be lifelong learners, modeling our lives after him and hoping to reflect Christ-likeness, the way we sharpen one another is through some of these conversations. And it's just deeply encouraging when people share those. And so well, and it's just a window into what other people are experiencing. It gives us moments to kind of understand who they are and what they're walking through and have a deeper appreciation for the way that they're wayfaring forward. It's it's just such an encouragement to us that we would be able to walk alongside somebody and a message is just kind of an invitation into their world. Absolutely. And it fuels us. I would say it fuels us. And so honestly, there are ways for you to practically serve with the Brave Way Home and partner with the Brave Way Home and, and Wayfair with the Brave Way Home and what we're doing. And one of them is the way that you choose to share the podcast, um, whether that's online through rating and reviewing or following or all the things that way, whether it's social media, which those are all great ways to connect with us. For us, Honestly, word of mouth is the most powerful thing because if it's resonated with you and it's ministered to you, you passing that on, it it equips somebody else. And that is such a meaningful way to partner with us because what we're learning is when people do all those things, like the rating, the reviewing, and all the yada, yada, yada stuff, what it does is it puts the podcast on other people's radar that wouldn't have never heard of this podcast otherwise. Right. But also that word of mouth thing that you would um, encourage somebody else to listen to it because you found it, it, it useful to you. That's just like another layer of uh, like, um, not endorsement, but like affirmation that this would be something that could benefit you too. And so I think some of those best, like my best memories right now that are coming to my minds of conversations, um, the most encouraging uh, feedback we've gotten on the, the podcast is that I listened, I told my friend about this, and she's listened, and now she thinks that this is is useful to her and, and spurring her forward. And so like just those, those ways that you encourage other people based on your own experience is such a beautiful way that God can use this to help other people. Yeah. And However you want to tell us or let us know, whether it's messages on social media or an email or text us. I mean, you can even give me a call. You can swing by our house if you want to. <laughs> but we, we really, we want to hear from you. Yeah. And we love getting to hear from you. But we also want to see you. And we love getting to see you. And so we are wrapping up our ministry traveling for this year, like 2022. But we're currently scheduling 2023, which just sounds weird to say that year out loud. But if your church or your community or your group, your school, whatever, would be interested in partnering with us, with the Brave Way Home, we would love to hear from you. Let us know. Maybe reach out to us or pass a recommendation on to your leadership uh, for connection to start happening. But we have been so affirmed in the doors that God has opened. He is not, he's not only opened new doors before us, he's given us the courage to walk through them. And it just leaves our hearts anticipating, like there's an expectancy that he's going to lead us to new places and to new people in this coming year to hopefully serve and allow our lives to be enriched as well because of what he's doing through this ministry. And if we're already scheduled to be somewhere near you, we would love it if you would just come and see us. Come see us. We would love it. (laughs) 
Um, and at the same time, we know we are entering into that Thanksgiving, Christmas, holiday stretch. And so schedules are, are a bit crazy. Straight crazy. Straight crazy. <laughs> um, and honestly, it can be a, a pretty bittersweet time, um, or at least a very hurried time. And so um, I think our hope is just to, in this conversation and in these times, we would just remind you that you're not alone in feeling that because the holidays are sometimes hard. Um, many of us have these empty empty chairs at our table, and it's such a reminder of the people that we miss, that we, we long to be with. Um, and at the same time, we can remember that even in the middle of um, troubling times, we still have so much to praise God for, so much that we can thank him for. Um, and the, the truth is that the strength of our confident hope can both recognize beauty and embrace these meaningful moments and savor time with those we, we have in our lives. And still hold the tension, still hold tight to those promises that we welcome from a distance and still hope for the fulfillment of every holy longing in our hearts and um, still be anchored to all that is to come. We can hold both the heartache and the hope at the same time. And we know that a lot of you who are wayfaring with us are also walking in grief and the holidays are hard and we want you to know we're praying for you. We're praying that God can use... Um, just us as fellow wayfarers to encourage your hearts and point you to the hope that we have. Because even in the suffering that we know, God has birthed this deep love for his people in our hearts. And that's the vision of the Brave Way Home put to words to call and equip fellow believers, fellow wayfarers to deeper living with our eyes fixed on Jesus and our hearts set on heaven. We want to run to those fellow strugglers, those fellow wayfarers who are determined to continue on the life um, of faith that God's calling us the, to, you know, to run toward the prize that, that Christ Jesus is calling us forward to press on. And we just want to run to those people, put our arms around them and remind them this is not all there is. We are on our way to home and heaven and Jesus is walking with us and we are with you. And that's the whole heartbeat, right? Like that's the whole plan. I mean, day in and day out, the work of our hearts and the work of our hands, it is it is to serve people and point their hearts in the right direction. And so everything that we're doing in the Breakaway Home falls under that umbrella. And one of them is the podcast. And here we are last week, we kicked off season three. And the whole plan for this is to just unpack some of our family discipleship patterns and pathways, the, the culture codes that we've sought to give our family to protect that family identity and, and how we seek to create a culture of discipleship in our home. And so today, we're going to spend some time creating some conversation around one of our core, well, truly our core culture code and our first one to just talk about all the ways that it impacts who we are and how we live and how it defines the foundation that Team Woods is built on. And so just to tell you a little bit of the backstory here, right? I mean, that's a good place to start. First off, I'll give a disclaimer <laughs> uh, <laughs> before we tell the backstory. I mean, maybe that is. But everything that we're unpacking with the Team Woods Culture Code, like none of this is like overnight stuff. All of this is what God was and has and is continually shaping in us. 
Some of you have heard me say this a million times, but none of this has been put in a microwave. All of this has been put in a crock pot. And so early on in, I, in our marriage, I think we were hoping to and planning to, we, there was a commitment already in us to be a marriage on mission. We wanted to make sure that we're going in the same direction, going after the same things. We're committed to seeing marriage as covenant, not contract, right? Mm-hmm. Like covenants are built on trust. Contracts are built, built on, on the lack, the lack of, of trust, trust right? Yeah. Like that's why you seal covenants and you sign contracts. Mm-hmm. But we were committed to doing this thing together and doing this right, committed to radiating God's glory through our marriage. But as we became parents, God, I think, naturally grew our hearts to shepherd our children and that desire to still do this right, desiring to be what they need us to be and pointing their hearts in the right direction. God only grew that into what we would call now our Team Woods Culture Codes. Yeah, because we're responsible for these little lives, these precious people. And so we found ourselves um, saying things like, we are Team Woods. We're a team and we don't quit. And and that kind of just like spiraled into or led into... um, Spiraled sounds more like, like, oh, we were just... (laughs) All right. Led into um, just these things that we decided that we really wanted to be known as as a a family. So um, particularly the we're a team and we don't quit as we encouraged and guided our kids through those experiences and those things that they really wanted to give up on. Like yeah. um, <laughs> soccer and futsal and basketball um, halfway through the season or even just a couple weeks in, they would be like, nope, don't want to go anymore. And we'd say, Woodses, don't quit. We are team Woods. We don't quit. Um, and so we just kind of leaned into and um, continued that team mindset that had already been ingrained into us from our own families that we are a team, we don't quit, um, to just try to <laughs> feed into the the value and the, the, the deep well that perseverance and persevering through a, a situation um, would lead to. Because when we commit to something, we see it through. We are team woods, we don't quit. And I think that was like the first language that we recognizably rallied around um, where we started to put language to what it was that Team Woods was going to be known for. What deeper things we would want to teach our children that we are Team Woods, we blank. Um, just kind of leaning into what marks and character traits we wanted to pronounce in our family. My mind is thinking of all of the sports teams that our children have been on. And I think about how... Oh, how many times it was like, nope, not bailing on this now because <laughs> we're a team and we don't quit. And I remember sometimes the pushback of like, but I don't want to be on that team anymore. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but there's a there's character development and in, in all of it, right? Yeah, but, and inevitably they'd get to the point where you know, okay, I'm glad I stuck at that, I stuck it out. I'm glad that I'm continuing. I'm glad that I I pushed through that hard point. So getting to that point was was definitely well, it's a, it's <laughs> a process. A, it's the same truth of of uh, when Callow was trying to teach me for the first time how to make slime. And if you've ever made slime, um, it's, there's some perseverance required in this. Some like there's a ton of perseverance required in it, and it you can make a huge mess pretty quickly. But I remember she had hijacked your mixer. 
um, because she recognized we need to expedite production. You know, I mean, here she is making all this slime and she's trying to teach me because I'm in like onboarding, right? Like I'm, I'm in, I'm an employee <laughs> in training, you know, kind of stretch. And I remember trying to make stuff and I have, I have made a mess and I will never forget Cal just saying, daddy, you don't quit. We can't quit. It's a mess right now, but it'll get better. And I can't help but think of that, that perseverance mentality that even something as simple as making slime and finishing, because when you're making slime, it really is a mess. But once you get around a corner, it starts to become something beautiful and fun and you can play with it and all the things, but you can't quit early. Yeah, you got to keep going. And I think about that truth all the time now, how I could take you to the right where I was sitting on the floor when she said that to me over my heart. And it is a truth that has ministered to me ever since from a totally broader context of how you wayfare through life, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's beauty up ahead. It's pretty messy right now, but you can't quit. Mm -hmm. You don't quit. So yes, there's character development in all of this. But I'll also say, you know, last week we mentioned how with any culture or way of life, it's not just marriages and families, but any group, any community, any team, any staff that you've been on, are on, are going to be on, you already exist in a culture of some kind, whether you know it or not. But if you want to take proactive steps and intentional steps to, to foster a certain kind of culture, a culture that's marked by shared mission and shared values and results in a shared environment... There's some practical steps there's that you can take. There's a process that can lead you to that end result. And there's a movement, like what we said last week, embrace, embody, experience. Embrace a vision, like you, you embrace a vision, a mission at hand, and you embody the values that, that bolster it and protect it with clarity. Those guardrails and guideposts, mm-hmm. right? But then there's also the experience that comes, like the outcome of it, where when those vision and those values are pronounced consistently and faithfully and authentically, it becomes our way of doing life. And so you move into that stretch of experience, right? And there's a whole host of questions that come with those filters. I mean, you can ask yourself, like, what mission and vision have we embraced? Because when you start walking down that road of questions and evaluating, it's going to start leading to, well, what values are seemingly pronounced in the way that we do life? What are we experiencing? And it allows you to kind of identify what you've embraced, what you're embodying, because it's what everyone else is experiencing, including you. And so maybe, is it okay if I do some, this might be practical. Are you okay with that? Permission granted. Thank you, boss. (laughs) All right. Thank you, boss. Well, A practical thing, I think, to grab a hold of here as we frame this up, a marriage on mission, a family on mission, parents on mission, seeking to create a culture, they seem to know at least a few things. There's probably a whole host, but at least a a few things. And I'll just say this, identity, destination, and unity. Those are all familiar, right? Like they know identity. They know who they are and whose they are. But they also know destination. They know where they're going. But the third piece, the unity piece, 
I think when you're creating culture, I I think when you're on mission, it's it's we're all going wherever together. I think I think those are three things that are pronounced loudly when you are creating a culture of discipleship in your home. And specifically in our family, we've developed these culture codes just kind of based on the, the mission that we want to embrace. It's that first thing. And then we want to identify how we're going to embody it, the values that we want to embody so that we can all experience the unity that comes from growing more like Jesus in the same healthy culture. So we're just kind of defining a spiritual family resemblance that we're all dedicated to each of these codes being reflected in our lives because we are Team Woods, and it shows. Yeah, and fumbling through all of the continuous learning curves of parenting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's worth just taking a moment and laughing about that, right? But they come with every season, Right. The learning curves sometimes you're like, I just want to straight away right now because everything's <laughs> the a minute curve. you think you figured it <laughs> yeah. out, it changes. Yeah. But still ultimately all along the way, wanting to teach them and show them the love of God. That that simple truth that you learn in Sunday school. That Jesus loves me. Right? Like we sing this, right? We learn this. And so that desire for them to know that they are loved by God, to show them the love of Jesus, the ways of Jesus, character of Jesus. We have a response to that love. We want to embrace the biblical mission of every person to radiate God's glory. And so there's naturally a desire in us and a commitment to glorify God by loving each other and our children with the love of Jesus. Yeah, and so our very first official Team Woods... Official. Culture code is is the basis. It's the foundation. It's what every other code is built on, what every other subsequent code will yield to. And it is simply love Jesus first. Yes. Love Jesus first. We want our love and our loyalty to Jesus to shine in everything we do. We've placed our faith in Jesus. We have surrendered our lives to him. And so we want every dimension of our lives to tell that story. We want every facet of our lives to reflect that love for him, that obedience to him, that he is sufficient and he is supreme. I I go straight to Colossians 1, right? That we want to live lives worthy of the Lord, to please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, enduring patiently, filled with joy, and always thanking God. Why? Because he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right? Everything was made by him and for him and in him. He's before all things and he's after all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's above all things. He's not just significant. He's supreme. He's not just some supplement. He's sufficient. And I'm reminded of that truth that all you need is found only in Jesus. And just as the song says, a love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. The most appropriate response is to love him back. I think of 1 John 4 that we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. We can love him and we can love others 
because he first loved us. It makes me think of when Jesus is talking. I think it, it's in Matthew 22, where Jesus is talking with um, some of the Pharisees who are trying to, you know, trap him into saying something heretical or, or somehow like discredit him. And they ask him, like, what's the greatest commandment? Yeah, what matters most? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he says, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. It's the Shema. It's like comes straight out of Deuteronomy. It's like part of the core culture code that all of Israel was encouraged to live. Like it is the greatest commandment um, because Jesus is both savior and he is king. God is both savior and king. And so it makes me think about some of our, our baptism discussions with Ezra and then with Kala where um, we would talk about how Jesus is both Savior and King. He cannot just be Savior. He must also be King because we have to emphasize Jesus's rule in the hearts of those that he saves because I think some people just want one. They just want him to save them, but they don't want him to rule them. Um, But with specifically in those um, times that we got to teach our children about how important it was to yield control of your life to the king, the rightful ruler of your heart. Um, I just think I can hear both of their voices in my head just Uh. saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I believe that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. He is my savior. He is my king. And I will follow him forever. Both of them, both Ezra and Kala have said those words with their own voices. I've heard that declaration in their voices that he is their savior. He is their king and they will follow him forever ever because they love Jesus first and they intend to live out their lives that way. And I am praying, I am confident, I am hopeful that one day we'll hear Lila say those words when she chooses to be baptized as well. Precious declarations. Yeah. But I think we so easily, like we tend to love the idea of wanting Jesus as Savior, right? Like, But we also really like to be king. <laughs> like sometimes we will treat him like a reset button that it's like, oh man, he gives us a clean s- slate for us to take another stab at doing it without him. Like, no, mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense, but we treat him that way. But that's why I think Jesus says, follow me because he's both savior and king. He's not interested in being king of your kingdom or making you a better king of your kingdom. This is his kingdom and we are invited into it. And like what Paul says in First Corinthians 7, when he's talking about marriage, he's talking about family and everything, he's pointing out that there is an intention to secure undivided devotion in our lives, that Jesus deserves undivided devotion in our lives. And the world is always offering us one more way, like we said last week, to offer a little bit more of ourselves to someone other than our king. But I think that's why Paul is unpacking, you know, you look at Colossians 3, he's unpacking this new wardrobe that we're to wear when we are in Christ. We put to death the sinful nature, all of the things that take our hearts in a totally different direction, totally different trajectory. And we embrace this new nature, this new mission. And that's why he can rattle off all these beautiful qualities that we are to let Jesus shape in us. And he goes on to say in Colossians 3, uh, verse 17, right? Where he's, you're like, I don't know, what, which one are you going to quote? <laughs> um, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is not a 
careless or flippant whatever. This is an all-encompassing whatever. Do it all in the name of Jesus. So love Jesus first. This keeps this mindset front and center. Absolutely. Because we are his people and he is our king. And so, again, we know who we are and we know whose we are. And we're yielding our lives every day to allow him the place of honor in our hearts. And I think that is, well, everybody knows that's not easy. It's the human struggle under the curse in this world that we would um, choose to restore him to his rightful place there at the helm of our hearts. Because sin has just twisted us up so that we usurp the throne. We make ourselves the center of our worlds. We desire to serve ourselves, to put ourselves first, to love ourselves above all else. And I think the daily work of discipleship, of sanctification, of what the Spirit is doing inside of us is learning to live surrendered to the rule of Jesus in denying ourselves and instead returning the throne of our hearts to our rightful King. He is our Savior and He is our King, and we will love Him first. Amen. Jesus has got a lot to say about denying ourselves, right? He's, he's got a lot to say about surrendering to Him. You know, look at Matthew 10. Jesus is sending out His disciples like in the buddy system, right? And he is kind of giving them marching orders of like telling them, here's what to expect. Here's what to do. And that's, I mean, that's where he even says that, like, if you love anybody else more than me, you're not worthy of me. Like, think about that. Like, he's he's calling them to love him first, to love him most. And you pair that with all the other passages. I mean, it's so that you can love others well. Right. But that's this is where he says, and anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is hard, but it's best. Like he's Jesus is not giving margin of like, oh, you can have multiple kings in your life. Like he's he's calling us to love him first. And I think that level of surrender, that level of denying oneself, it's a daily choice. It's a daily step. Because of our, our instinct, we are, we are prone to wander. And when we know from Scripture and experience that it's pretty easy for us to leave our first love, and it's always at tragic consequences, right? I mean, when Jesus, the in, in Revelation 2, when the letter to the church in Ephesus. It's like, hey, I know your works, I know your labor, your patience, all that. You've done all these really, really good things. That's great. But... Right. But this is what I have against you. Mm-hmm. You left your first love. That cannot be the direction our lives go or where we allow our family to roam. We are prone to wander and we need the love of God to to tether our wandering hearts to himself. We need a unified dedication to our value to love Jesus first. And I think the more that you know Jesus and the more that you recognize who he is and the character that he has, you recognize that you're just not qualified to be king of your of your own heart. 
Um, he is infinitely more qualified, infinitely more capable, and he is going to lead you to some to to live a life that will give him glory and is for our good. And and learning to love Jesus first, it's not just something that we say. It's a moment-by-moment choice. Every single minute, like you said, we're being tempted and pulled to um, embrace something different, embrace something else as our king. Um, there's a Bob Dylan song that, that reminds us that no matter who you are, you could be, you know, the president or you could be, you know, just yourself, <laughs> uh, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And so our family culture, I think, I hope, is pronouncing clearly um, that declaration um, that's captured in Joshua twenty four fifteen. that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He is our Savior. He is our King, and we will follow him forever. We will love Jesus first. And that love comes before all things. And then it overflows and then shapes all things, right? And we could rattle off scripture after scripture all day long, but we, we can't help but think that this shapes everything when things are in alignment. You know, you look at, again, Paul, 1 Corinthians 16, do everything out of love. It, it doesn't give you permission to do it out of any other motivation, to do what you do for the right reasons. Or again, Jesus' words in John 14, this final night that he's spending with his disciples before he goes to the the cross the next day. How many times does he repeat? Like uh, at least two or three times the, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't, you won't. That This love, it looks like obedience. That's why it's an all-encompassing whatever. That's why it's an all-encompassing everything. This love shapes everything else. Yeah, it shapes how we we um, allow Jesus to rule in our hearts, but it also shapes how we treat each other. Um, and it's the second part of that same passage in Matthew 22, where Jesus declares, you know, what the most important commandment is, is the Shema, the love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. But then the very next verse is where he says, and this the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So when we love Jesus first, we show that by obeying what he says. We love him first, and we love each other with the love that comes from him. Yeah, because love comes from Jesus first. Because God God is is love. Yeah. And it reminds me of that tension between alignment and balance. Nothing gets the best of you in balance. Like we hand out pieces of ourselves over and over and over again. Like we get divvied up into all these different things to try and find balance on a scale and nothing gets the best of us. But if we are living out of the overflow, pouring into relationship after relationship, well, then that can make sense. If we love Jesus first, then out of the overflow, we are best equipped to love one another. Whatever gets the most of you is going to get the best of you. And that's a hard truth to wrestle with, especially if we take inventory about what gets the most of us. But I think all the time that when I am in right relationship with God, when I am anchored in Him, in that relationship, I am best equipped to love you the way Christ loves the church, the way I'm called as a husband to love His wife. And when you are in alignment with God, when you are in right relationship, well, then you are best equipped to love me back, right? Mm -hmm. And so... 
It's out of the overflow of that primary relationship with God that our marriage is poured into. I would say that we are best positioned to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And when we are in alignment to that deeper mission, we're best equipped and unified to love and lead our kids in health and holiness. The best way that I can love my kiddos is to love their mama so good that they know who they are and whose they are. Like the best way that I can love you is out of the overflow of my relationship with God. And that's what will keep me from expecting you to complete me. Because you can't. Only God can fill me up. And only God can fill you up. Because it's not about balance. It's about alignment. It's out of the overflow of the most life-giving relationship. Our individual relationships with God that we are best equipped to pour into every other in an order that honors God and serves the mission he has for us. Whatever gets the most of you gets the best of you. Because if Jesus is not the center of you, he won't be the center of your marriage. He won't be the center of your family. And what will you have to pour into others? So I, I mean, I got to take inventory all the time, asking myself, is all of my life reflecting this primary relationship? Or are there parts of it that aren't? Is everything I do flowing out from the source of all things good? Am I drawing up nourishment from Scripture, finding my strength in Him, pouring out what He's pouring in? It's a galvanizing phrase to love Jesus first. It's it's both comforting and convicting. Yeah. But when you love Jesus first, when you are completely invested in that relationship with Jesus first, that overflow... That serves your family. And so like my love for Jesus significantly shapes the way that I love you, the way I love Ezra, the way I love Kala, and the way I love Lila. I love you all best by loving Jesus first, by making him the anchor of my life. Because if I'm not in right relationship with God, then I'm unable to live in right relationship with my family. And that's just a... a, a marker of our family that I think is is just so deeply ingrained in us. It is the culture code that every other one is built on, that when we love Jesus first, we have the capacity to love each other in the in, with the love of Jesus. And so there's different ways that we recognize that and we identify that um, in our family and in, in the way that we live out life. Like when um, one of our kids puts somebody else before themselves, we'll often say, um, just to verbally affirm them that you've just showed that you are loving Jesus first. That's what that looks like. Um, like when we give first priority to family devotions or to prayer time, this is what it looks like when we love Jesus first. Why we are so committed to being part of the church and gathering with fellow wayfarers. This is how we love Jesus first. We are able to explain why we do things and tie it back to that deep value, our foundational value, that when we love Jesus first, the rest of our lives fall into alignment because that is overflowing into every other um, area of life. Um, Even like when we talk about tithing and we kind of model about how we give the first fruits or when we celebrate that somebody else is doing that, like we have a story that I love, um, somebody named uh, Teresa, she's amazing, and she um, had offered to give our family a puppy. 
gift our family a puppy. Um, and so when I had reached out to her about that, she said, oh, this is amazing. I just had a, li- a litter of puppies and there's 10 of them. And I would love for you to come and be the first one to pick out a puppy. It would be um, the way that I would honor God by giving him the first fruits, like that you would choose from the very, like, the entire litter, which one you would want. And I just, I think that's, that's what it looks like to love Jesus first too, because we offer him from the first fruits. We give him the the portion from the very, the, the whole piece. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I love the way that we are able to pull things back and, and really tie them and tether them to a, a value that's deep in our family, something we want pronounced in the way that they live out life is that we love Jesus first, and this is what it looks like. And even when we are tempted, it's not just when we take the step to express it, but when we're tempted to put ourselves first, there's a call to remind ourselves, love Jesus first, Mm -hmm. right? When we're tempted to put something selfish in front of something selfless, there's a call to remember to love Jesus first, to keep us in alignment to him and with him so that the overflow of that most life-giving relationship flows into every other life-giving relationship. And I think it keeps us from feeling the weight of having to manufacture the energy and the love to love each other. It allows us to really draw that up from the source of ever giving, never dry source of love that comes from Jesus, that we are loving others with the love that we've been given. We show each other what it looks like to love Jesus first because we live like Jesus is king and we obey him by loving each other with the overflow of the love that he gives. So we hold each other accountable and we tear down any obstacles to it and we celebrate the obedience to it. We show each other what it looks like to love Jesus first and we allow his love to pour out through us in just a natural way. We don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to make it ourselves. We simply are the conduit. And when we know his love, we live his love. So love Jesus first.